Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. I'm Elizabeth Longkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out thewellendowedpodcast.com. Happy Mother's Day, slightly belated. Aw, thanks. To both you and to everyone listening in the event that you are a mother, have a mother, intend to be a mother. And if you don't, or are estranged from your mother, or are separated from your mother, and uh, don't really do Mother's Day, happy day. Yeah. Just have a good day to you. Yeah. It's all good. Putting that out there, because Mother's Day was it's this true. past weekend. Yes. I received yeah. some additional construction paper flowers to add to my construction paper flower bouquet. From last year. Yeah. yeah. I was very pleased. I can have an entire garden of construction paper flowers that I'm going to love very much, because... My children made them. It was very sweet, is what I'm saying. Construction paper flowers famously last longer than real flowers. It's true. Don't plant them outside. Oh, uh, yeah. Very much an indoor plant. Then they will not last longer than actual flowers. No. It, it's situational. Absolutely. Situational flowers. Context is important. Indeed. Uh, with that said, let's add a little context to the chapter we uh, are currently looking into with a brief recap of our previous chapter. Smooth, honey. In which Drozanoth drops in on Johnny and Nick at Johnny's place. <laughs> you know, pops in, says hi. Offers a couple threats, leaves a couple dangling hints about a bigger picture that Nick is unfamiliar with. Kills the science octopus and just rudely leaves. Uh, yeah. This guy's a jerk. Pretty much sums up chapter six, and that leads us into chapter seven of Beneath the Rising by Primi Mohammed. I have uh, neither a cold nor COVID. I just am suffering from my seasonal allergies. So if I sound a little phlegmy, I apologize. That is the case. Yeah, Scott and I are both allergic to spring. Scott is very allergic to spring. Yeah, this is this is a yearly occurrence for me and uh it's been it's been particularly bad the last few days so uh just if if i am a little phlegmy or i i sound like i have a bit of a cold that is not the case it's just allergies it's uh, been raining and that always makes it a little bit worse yeah so anyway we uh we open this chapter in the destroyed remnants of the room moments after Drozanoth has taken off so first confirmation of this chapter uh the room was indeed destroyed yep it was not an illusion and nick pretty much confirms what we surmised last chapter. This was a flex. Drazanoth was making a point. Here. Yeah, you were. The, my first note is that Scott was right. Yeah. He was, yeah. <laughs> uh, Drazanoth could have harmed or killed either Johnny or Nick, but didn't. And uh, the two of them, despite being drenched, are more or less unhurt. Johnny was cut by 
presumably a book that came crashing down off the bookshelves, maybe a piece of glass. Something. Yeah. Something kind of put a gash in her arm. But that's the extent of the damage to yeah. the two of them. The room is wrecked, though. Nothing life-threatening. Nick is initially enraged at the very pointed cruelty of this act, but simultaneously also recognizes he's in over his head here because he didn't recognize the nature of the danger until it was already upon them. And he gets the inkling that Johnny knew the danger was coming. And went in anyway. Yeah. And th this just further emphasizes to him something that's been dawning on him for several chapters, which is that Johnny knows more than she's letting on. Well, yeah, we already knew that. We've been saying that probably since the very beginning. Well, and again, it's because Nick has been suspicious that that is the case. He just hasn't been able to ask her about it. It was almost like he was waiting for evidence. Or just couldn't bring himself to quite believe it? Possibly. I mean, he's wrapping his head around really unnatural stuff. Yeah, right? large existential threats. Sort of how we were talking, to put it in D&D &D terms before, his sanity has taken quite a few hits. Yeah, definitely. Right? He's also... Still dwelling on that uh, turn of phrase Drazenoth used last chapter, this time when he was speaking to Johnny. But he's initially afraid to follow up on it, partly because he doesn't know that he wants to know the answer. Right? Not sure exactly what to do, Nick begins to just kind of rescue books from the water. And this tracks actually with his earlier coping mechanism. The first time he encountered Drazenoth in the stockroom, he just kind of lapsed back into work because... The drudgery is very calming and familiar to him. Yeah, routine and, and repetition. Yeah, right? and he does exactly the same thing here. After she's kind of come down from the initial shock, Johnny also joins him. And then after they've stacked up some of the books out of the water, which is draining out of the room through a, f a floor drain. It's it's a lab room, so it makes sense that Johnny is a responsible lab mansion builder. She grabs some aquarium cleaning stuff and starts like sweeping up the mess. The silence is growing deeply uncomfortable, though. Oh, yeah. Because, they are not talking. Yeah, because there's the question is lingering in the air, and Nick is afraid to ask it. There's the sense there that Johnny wants him to ask. She's clearly willing to talk. Yes, because she does. But she doesn't want to start. So Nick does start, basically just by asking how they're going to move the big pile of aquarium debris out of there. And Johnny just kind of flatly says, you know what? I'll handle it with Rutger in the morning. Don't worry about it. Nick uses this as the segue to kind of lurch into, hey, I'm, I'm sorry about the octopus. That sucks. And Johnny immediately just kind of lays the blame on herself. He's like, this is my fault. Don't worry about it. And Nick is like, no, you, you couldn't have given in to his demands. Like, you made the right choice. This isn't your fault. And Johnny, she believes the Ancient Ones want to weaponize her impossible box. Nick is totally lost at this point. She's mentioned, she's dropping like the destruction of the city of Ur and whatnot. And he's just like, this is all over my head. And finally, she's just like, you know what? Go home. Just go home. I'll take care of this. And he's like, uh, no, that's not going to happen. I've seen too much. She asks if he particularly wants to stick around and help clean up the mess. And he counters that he's not just going to leave her when there's dangerous monsters gunning for her. She says, I know that. And that kind of pushes him over the edge. And he's finally like, you, you know a lot of things. You seem to know everything. But you're not telling me what you know. And it's driving me crazy. Moreover, while you usually do know what's going on at the moment, you only think you know what's going on. And I can tell you right now that when it comes to what you think is going on with me, you're wrong. You cannot handle this by yourself. And Johnny's reply is basically, well, you can't help me because you don't know the whole story. And Nick is like, then just tell me the whole story already. Right? <laughs> he finally, finally comes to the very edge of his patience with her. Yeah. And is like, just talk to me. 
Like, I'm your friend. Tell yeah, me. I can understand how frustrating that would be. And I can see why he finally loses his patience with her. He has way more with her than I would. I would have lost my patience ages ago. She actually grows quiet for a moment. And it's a moment that lingers long enough that Nick gets worried that he went too far and is gearing up to apologize when she agrees and says, you know what? You're right. You deserve to know. I probably should have told you this years ago. And Nick is like, oh, no news in the entire history of humanity has ever been good when it has followed. I probably should have told this to you years ago. <laughs> he is correct. Yeah. It also gets worse because she essentially says, uh, it was better for us both if you didn't know, but I can't protect you anymore. So clearly you need to know. Oh, yeah. Keep digging. So Johnny confirms what we had suspected before. Drazanoff is responsible for her super genius. Apparently when she was just three years old, it came to her and offered her a covenant. Again, that word, that specific word. Yeah. And the basically the gist of the deal is she gets to be a super genius, but for every minute that she's using her super genius, it shaves a minute off the end of her life, which explains why she was working so hard when she was young. She needed to get it all out. She needed to get it all out so that she wasn't shaving off too much of the end because she's on borrowed time. Yeah. Oh, I have so much to say about this. When Johnny describes the they as evil, this is their brand of evil. This, what they have done here, is diabolical. Oh, for sure. They have approached a child. A child of three. We have a child who is not quite five. He will be five this summer. At three? There is no way, no way he had the emotional intelligence, life experience, plain and solid knowledge to understand what, was, what would have been happening. I will agree with you on principle. But I will counter that we do get a little more nuance than that. Yes, we do. Because Nick Nick is right on the same page with you. He's like, you were three years old. You were way too young to fully understand you what, were you a were, baby. what you were getting into. And she actually disagrees. Because as she puts it, part of the deal was full comprehension of it. Otherwise, it didn't work. That was part of the covenant. In fact, Drazanoth even essentially gave her a sample. I, I forget how long she says, but it was like... Uh, a month or two. Something like that. Where she had the super genius and could therefore fathom what was going on. And then came back and was like, so do we have a deal or do I take it back? And she made the deal. And the way she puts it is she did the mental math. She did the calculus and determined that she could potentially save many lives and improve humanity in exchange for shorter life. And that seemed worthwhile. That said, I think I lean more towards agreeing with you and Nick. Despite the fact that she was given all this textbook knowledge, she did not have that emotional maturity. And it, again, it's being it's being given instantly a stat of 20 in your intelligence, but your wisdom hasn't gone up. No, you cannot teach experience that way. No. Right? She was still... A wee child. And she even, probably had only learned to talk the year before. And even if the cold hard math is telling her, on balance, this is a good deal for me and for humanity, 
the truth is, with wisdom, she might have realized, oh, no, this is a devil's bargain. Yes. I should not be making it. Which is why it's super diabolical that they approached a tiny child. Oh, and 100% deliberate. Oh, absolutely it is. But there's also... horrible. I'm actually... I'm going to point out another thing about that, though. If they had approached an adult, the adult wouldn't have had as much time to use the power. No. By approaching a child, you maximize the amount of time that that child has to use the ability to inadvertently help you. And that's part of it. We'll get into it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's some math going on on their end, too. Oh, 100% there is. And it's super obvious. Of course, I am a reader and a grown adult and not a three-year-old child. But <laughs> still, their end of the bargain is clearly more weighed <laughs> than our end. And it's just... Ugh. It bothers me on a deep level. It bothers Nick on a deep level, too. And he immediately is like, well, can you just break the deal? And Johnny's like, nah, it's pretty ironclad. Doesn't really work that way. Yeah. She also, this is one of the reasons why earlier on when he mentioned that Drozanoth had approached him like the day before, her first question was like, did he offer you a covenant? Because she was almost assuredly going to warn him off of accepting the deal. And it's because she says like right here, I hope you're never offered a covenant because you think you can refuse. And then it turns out you can't. It's an offer that's too good to be true. But at the same time, it's too good to pass up. Yes. Nick also realizes that this changes things. She even says this changes things between us. And it does, but he lies about it in the moment. It's like, no, everything's fine. But he also kind of visualizes it as he thought there was a chasm between them, and it turns out it's an ocean. And it is a gap that they could bridge, but in that moment of clarity that he has, he realizes neither of them are going to. Nick also recognizes one of the more troubling aspects of this to him, which is that she was, as he puts it, she was already the Disney princess. She was born rich to uh, an educated family, so she was going to have a top-notch education. She was good-looking. The world was her oyster from the moment she pressed play. She was playing the game almost on the easiest mode you can play it on. I say almost because she wasn't a boy. Yeah. Um, if she was a pretty blonde, white, rich male. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then, like, yeah. easy mode. But she was born into privilege. And it pretty much guaranteed that she could have changed the world. She could have put her stamp on it easily. But that wasn't good enough for her. She wanted, as he puts it, to save the world. And Drazenoth gave her the ability to do that. And she's like, you would have said yes, too. And he doesn't say anything in the moment, but would he have? Nick's a very different person He's than He's a very different person. But that's, at three years old, maybe he would have. I think that's part of the diabolical plan. I think they picked her on purpose. Oh, almost assuredly. Not, they didn't just go out and find some random child. I think they were very selective about the child they chose. And yeah. it needed to be a very young child, right? It needed to be a very specific type of child. Someone they knew would make the decision they wanted her to make. Yeah. Nick has a strong urge at this juncture to just run crazed into the streets and away from all of this. But, Which I assume is a very natural reaction. Oh, for sure. But he, he like chokes that down. And to give himself some space to take all this in, he changes the subject and is like, okay, so the impossible box. You say that they want a weapon. Surely there are enough nuclear reactors on the planet that they could just scoop one of those up and turn it into a weapon. And she's like, no, they have like a limit on what they can do. The impossible box could create limitless energy and thus has, in theory, limitless destructive potential as well. And the Ancient Ones could use that as leverage against our entire species. Yep. Like, we can just end your world. Give us what you what we want. Okay, we'll give you what you want. Like, Please don't end our world. 
it's at this juncture that she even goes, you know, even in very ancient times, humans knew that only evil comes from evil. The ancient ones only give with the expectation that their gifts will be turned toward terrible ends. This is basically her saying that this is a genie's wish, right? Yeah. It's the wish that never turns out the way that you intended or expected it to. It's it's the be careful what you wish for situation. Yes. She knew it was possible that one day she would invent something truly existentially dangerous. But she still said yes. And this is a real sticking point for Nick. He can't fully process this. That she would knowingly agree to a deal that she knew could doom humanity. <laughs> but the fact is, she did. And this is the not-so-good part of her calculus. Yeah. My assumption is that Johnny's math went that there was only a minuscule chance that she would invent something dangerous, or that her genius could be used against humanity if she rushed to do everything up front and then stopped. Because she can turn it off, apparently. Yeah. I, I think that's part of why she was rushing when she was younger to get all this stuff out. It's just that there was always the potential that she was going to build the thing, the thing that they wanted her to build. And yep. she did. With the best of intentions. Yep. A very specific child. Nick asks, okay, okay, this is this is a lot to take in. What do we do next? And again, she tries to warn him off, but he's not going to be deterred. I'm your friend. You're in trouble. I have your back is basically the situation. And she sighs and accepts it and is just like, all right, go home. Not because I'm sending you away. Just go home and try to get some sleep. I'm not going to sneak off on you. But come morning, hopefully I'll have a plan and we'll be able to do something. Nick agrees, heads out, and takes a minute to evaluate things now that he's kind of out in the fresh air and away from Johnny for a minute. Yeah, taking a beat. And he feels real crummy, actually, because he always knew he was the stupid ordinary boy hmm. who was friends with the prodigy, but now he realizes that he's even more stupid than he thought because he's ostensibly her closest friend, but he could never be trusted with her secrets. She never trusted him with her with her deepest secrets. and. He's really hurt by that because he's like, I would have understood and I would have kept that secret. Even disregarding the fact that it's literal magic, I would have been okay with that. She is my friend. And the fact that she never trusted me is incredibly hurtful. Here's the thing about Nick. Nick is taking this personally. Nick thinks it's about him. Well, yeah. It's not. No. It's about the secret. It's not that she doesn't trust him. It's that... The secret doesn't go to anybody. And that's true, yes. Like, if she was going to tell someone, previous to today, it was going to be Nick. But she couldn't even tell him. This was a secret that she kept to herself and was intending on keeping to herself forever. Yeah. It's not about Nick. And this is an interesting switch around because... So often in this book, Johnny has turned things around to being about her. Yes. And in this moment, Nick instinctually turns it around to be about him. Yes. Well, to be fair, he's also a teenager. Yeah. And this is what you're like when well, you're a teenager. Well, and it, to be fair, it is a betrayal. Oh, it of is. Of his trust. It kind of is. It's it's just, it was never meant as a pointed and personal betrayal of his trust. Yeah, it from Johnny's point of view, anyway, there was no malicious intent. No, in fact, I would go so far as to say that I I believe her when she says, I didn't want to tell you this to protect you. Mm -hmm. The less you knew, the safer you were. This is the Spider-Man problem. Okay, I know there's a lot of Spider-Man out there, but in one particular Spider-Man, he refuses to tell Aunt May and Mary Jane that he is Spider-Man. They don't know his secret, and he does that 
quote-unquote, to protect them. And what he later has to learn is he cannot protect them because they don't know when the danger comes, they are not prepared. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So when one, one of many Spider-Man's enemies comes around and goes for those pressure points, his loved ones, they don't see it coming. Right? Aunt May could build a bunker and be safe in her basement <laughs> when, when she hears the, you know, crashing thunder coming, but she doesn't know. So she doesn't hide. She doesn't look after herself. Sometimes you have to tell people so that they can defend. Oh, I, I agree with you. Sometimes keeping secrets doesn't protect. That's all I'm saying. He actually, uh, further to that, he uh, remembers a time that they went and saw a play together, uh, The Black Rider. It's about a person who makes a Faustian bargain. It's a real play and I've seen it. Yeah, it's, uh, I, was, I actually wrote a little synopsis for our readers who might not know it. For the record, it's a play by Robert Wilson, Tom Waits, and William S. Burroughs. They worked on it together. And it's about a man who wins his beloved after he makes a deal with the devil for some magic bullets, which will hit anything he wants. Because she comes from a family of hunters. He's trying to impress them uh, so that he can win her love, despite the fact that he's a boring, ordinary dude. The deal, though, is that one of the bullets is under the devil's control. And one day it will do what the devil wants. And the guy's like, it's just one of the bullets. Sure, it's fine. Uh, but sure enough, the bullet kills his beloved on their wedding day. And the man goes mad in his drag tail. And it, yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, Classic the devil deal yeah. story. But uh, Nick, in thinking back to it, is like, we were essentially watching her life play out on stage. And I was the idiot who was like, that's a fun story. And she was sitting next to me the whole time. And she must have been like, wow, the guy sitting next to me is a real dummy. No, he's not. He just doesn't have all the information. Nick also finds himself kind of reevaluating his opinion of her. Because even though earlier he said this changes nothing, the fact is it does. And it has immediately tainted his impression of her. Because he always thought that she was a hero, that she was this force for good. And now he finds out that the source of her genius is pure evil. How do you resolve that? Yeah, she cured cancer, but she's now also doomed humanity. And she has doomed humanity using a power that she knew could doom humanity. So what that she cured cancer? Like, that's kind of the situation right? that he's She saved all in. of these people to doom us all. Yeah, she saved all these people, but they're now going to die anyway. Yeah. Good work? Maybe. Genius? Well, to be fair, that's how he sees it. And I, admittedly, this is this is in his knee-jerk reaction to all this news, because he hasn't had time to sit on it. His instinct is is revulsion and betrayal and pain and anger. And it's kind of all coming out in his inner monologue here right now. We've learned so far that Nick is the kind of person who needs to process, right? He needs some time. He's not a quick processor. Much, He's a slow processor. Much like Tracker in our previous novel, Black Leopard, Red Wolf for, uh, for the, by Marlon James, uh, for those who have just joined us for this novel. Great read. Tracker also is one of those people who has the knee-jerk reaction to stick his foot in his mouth. Mm -hmm. Nick isn't as bad with that, but there's a similarity here between the two characters. They need a sober second thought. Yes. And this is not the moment for Nick to have that sober second no, thought. No, he's not going to get it. Kind of going back to the play as well, Nick also, in, in likening Johnny to the main character, uh, Wilhelm, in The Black Rider, is like, you know, at the end of the day, Wilhelm made a deal with the devil for love. Johnny's deal was made for so much worse reasons because it seems like it was just for power, no matter how well-intentioned. It's fair. I don't think Johnny sees it that way. Oh, she no. doesn't flaunt having power, right? She doesn't like being in the public eye. She doesn't particularly like being famous. I don't think she did it for power. 
I think she had a more altruistic reason. Well, she doesn't want to save humanity because she wants to be the savior of humanity. She wants to save humanity because it's a good thing to do. She made the deal with the devil for the power to save humanity, not for the power to flaunt over people. She didn't get the the ability to become president and lord over people. She got the ability so she could do things like cure cancer. And that's fine, but at the end of the day, it was still a deal for power because she thought, I could wield this power to do good. And what Nick and even what Johnny say in this chapter is it was a foolish mistake because the source of the power was such that it could only ever do harm. Even if in the short term it was doing good, it could only ultimately ever do harm. Corrupt from the source. Exactly. The play about the magic bullets also reminds him of their meeting. Yes. And the bullet which marked them both. He considers that it's weirdly the only thing that links two people who should probably otherwise never have even been linked. Who might otherwise have never really even met, except in passing. That's true. But it's somehow tied their fates together. And this brings me to some new conspiracy supposition. Oh, good. More wild speculation. All right, hit me. I stumbled onto a major company conspiracy pack. How about that for stress? What the hell are you talking about? This company is being bled like a stuck pig, Mac, and I got a paper trail to prove it. Check this out. Take a look at this. I think that Nick is the hitch in the plan. You mean in their plan? Yeah. Because as you said, there was definitely some calculus from the ancient ones that went into who they approached with this Faustian bargain. Okay. I'm wondering if, due to some metaphysical element of that, the fact that they were both marked by the same bullet and in a way kind of have a blood link between them, if that has tied Nick to her in such a fundamental and metaphysical way that he has become the spanner in the works. Oh, I he see is, what you're getting. He is the flaw in their plan now. Yeah. He's um, the X factor that they yeah, didn't account for. Because he's tied to her on a on a such a fundamental level that he can affect this deal somehow. Which yep, is which is it. also why Drazenoth is aware of him. Like, he has eyes on Nick because Nick's entangled in this now. And that might also be why Johnny has kept him close over all the years, in spite of everything. Which even earlier in the book, Nick was like, like, she's jet-setting around the world, winning Nobel Prizes. I'm working my dead-end job, and yet she calls me every month just to check in. And it makes no sense, but I'm glad to have her as my friend. And I'm wondering if... The reason she's maintained this of all relate, she barely maintains a relationship with her mom, but she has purposefully maintained her relationship with Nick. And I'm wondering if it's because she is aware that they are linked this way. Maybe. I totally get it. Yeah. It makes sense that he is the X factor. Yeah. And it's possible that Johnny sees this X factor, this this metaphysical linking between them as a detriment to potentially Nick or herself, when in fact it might be. The thing that saves her. Mm, I like it. Oh, I just thought of something terrible, though. What? What if she's been inadvertently shaving years off of his life <gasps> because of their link? Oh, she would feel so bad. Yeah, that would be real terrible. Oh. Oh, that would be that would be a twist of the knife in this novel. Yes. <laughs> that would be real dark. I hope that's not the case, but I'm just oh, putting it out there. No, but you, if it if it ended that way, you know, he would have to do like the noble sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Something, something, give himself up so that other people can live something, something. It would be a super betrayal if she knew that was the case, too. Oh, boy. Oh, that's dark. Don't do that. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, look, we picked this book off the horror shelf. Oh, no. What if it's a, ca- oh, no. 
what if it's a case of there's only so many smarts in the world, and in order for her to get more, she has to take it from somebody else? Maybe she's smart, and it makes him dumb. Yeah, but he's not dumb. Nick, and I will, I will just immediately counter that with Nick is not dumb, and he's certainly not as dumb as he thinks he is. Oh, that's true. And the reason that's why true. I say that, and the reason why he has that perception of himself is because he's always been comparing himself to Johnny, the kid prodigy. Yeah, and he shouldn't. He really shouldn't. He's bright. He's smart. He's emotionally mature. He sees himself as as an ordinary stupid next to her. But the fact is, Nick is Nick is a bright kid. He's a good guy. He doesn't deserve as much of the of the crap that he puts on himself. Yeah, comparing himself to Johnny is like an apple oranges kind of thing. And it's not yeah. fair. He should compare apples to apples if he's going to compare at all. Yeah. And so to that point, I would immediately kibosh the idea that Johnny's been siphoning off his smarts. Because, I'm okay with that. Because he's not dumb. It was wild and irresponsible speculation. Oh, and and I'm glad we debunked it immediately. A hundred percent the point in the novel where we would be making wild and irresponsible speculation. As we do. So. One more thing I want to talk about before we wrap this up. Nick mentions, I wish I had the exact words. It was never really love that he felt for her. It was something else that he thought was love. There's a whole explanation of his feelings for Johnny. Mm -hmm. I think he's wrong. I think he genuinely did fall out of love with her because feelings can change. He now has information about her that he didn't have yesterday. Well, and he even says, like, he's lying to her when he says nothing's changed between us. But in that moment... Yeah. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. And yes, it's entirely possible that he was in love with her. Love is a powerful feeling. Yep. And it's also entirely possible, and I would argue likely, that he has simply fallen out of love with her. That doesn't mean he doesn't care. It doesn't mean he's not attached, because we know he cares, and, and we then, know he's attached. Yeah. But maybe it's just not love anymore. Because just don't he's think... got new information to evaluate. Exactly. I just don't think it's healthy to be like, oh, no, it was never really love. No, it's okay. <laughs> Own your feelings <laughs> and acknowledge that they can change and that they have changed. Yeah. And now things are going to be weird. For a while. For a while. But these are two teenagers discovering a new world in so many senses of the phrase. Yep. And it's okay. It's okay to have the feels. Well... We'll see if we have more fields as we move into chapter eight, which is what we'll be reading up on in time for next week. And in the meantime, here's uh, Rumi. Hi there, I'm Brendan, a certified home inspector with Rumi. Do you have a problem that needs fixing? Whether it's big or small, inside or outside, let me help you find out what's really going on. You can call me by phone, or we can take a look together over video chat. Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and go to Ask a Home Inspector to book your appointment with me today. Yeah, yard work, home renovations and inspections, Rumi. Yeah. Check it out. Grown-up stuff. Grown-up stuff. For grown-ups. For grown-ups. <laughs> you know what else grown-ups like? And also probably kids? Podcasts. So uh, many. You can check out uh, more podcasts right now at the Alberta Podcast Network website, albertapodcastnetwork.com. We are listed there along with our many sibling casts. You can find us all on your podcatcher of choice while you're there. Maybe give us a little rating and a review. That helps us out. It does. Yeah. We were nominated for a Canadian Podcast Award again. What? Yeah. If you are a voting member, uh, we would appreciate your support for Outstanding Arts Podcast. This is the second time we've been nominated. It makes me feel good. We will probably never win, 
But you know what? It feels hey, good. Not with that attitude. It feels good to get the recognition. Um, the nomination, the nom does feel good. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Uh, you can also find us on social media. Oh, pick your poison. We have uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read along on most of those. Yeah. Uh, you can also reach out to us via email. Yes, we are the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Chapter 8 Big Feels. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.